From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, and I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Hey, today we'll feature a couple of innovators in the music industry based right here in Mississippi. We'll hear from Cody Cox this morning and about what it takes to run a successful record label, and from Seth Power, an up-and-coming artist, and what he's learning about what it takes to be a successful artist. Listeners, we want to hear from you today. What do we need to do more of or less of to make this world a better place today? Give us a call with your thoughts at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or email marshall at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this this is Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. Hey, I hope you're having a great day today. It's, uh, tell you what, Monday, it's hot out there, but you know what? We're going to have a great show today. We got Cody Cox and Seth Power. Cody, I tell you, um, I don't know if y'all may have noticed this, but the music industry is changing like crazy. And I tell you what, he has taken the bull by the horns. He started his own label. He's, he's now owns Elegant Train Record Label. And Seth Powers is an incredibly talented musician as well. So we're going to have a great show. We got a lot of things going on. Of course, I have a very special guest and visitor today. I have... Uh, You're a my, wonderful my son. son who is here. Yeah, she, he's a he's a rock star. He's in there telling Sharita all about sprites right now. Yes, uh, on this fancy iPad, um, and it, it, yeah, so I, I'm being entertained in here and educated at the same time. I know. For those of you who don't know what sprites are, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't until he stumbled across this. They are an electrical discharge above thunderstorms that create beautiful light shows. And I didn't know this until my son, who memorizes every single thing he reads. Uh, for nine years old, now knows more, I think, than some meteorologists about weather. So anyway. Yeah, because when you first said it, you said Sprites, I was thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, quench my thirst, but no. Yeah, I was thinking carbonated <laughs> soda, maybe yeah. little tiny people running around. I didn't know, maybe in fancy outfits. Right. Okay, well, let's, let's just talk about what's important now. There was an incredibly successful comedy show over the weekend. Really? Starring uh, a very up-and-coming, soon-to-be famous comedian who is Ooh. hilarious, I hear. Ooh. <laughs> and that would be you. Congratulations, Sharita. I heard it Thank was just you. absolutely a home run. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was at the Alamo Theater this past Saturday on Fair Street. Um, and it was just an amazing showing. I think part of it was that we offer free T-shirts for the first 25 people. So That's we had a, a long yeah. line of people coming. Um, and uh, we got the show started. Now, Jonas, uh, who also produces Deep South Dining, was the opening act for me. So I don't know if people know, but Jonas is a DJ uh, when we're not on the radio. So he was my opening act for at least 20 or 30 minutes. He was playing hits back to back. I mean, had people in the aisles dancing before I came out. So that was awesome to be able 
able to work with him and give him exposure as well for folks uh, who don't know what he does. You know, they know now. So that was cool to have a DJ as an opening act instead of another comedian. Because, you know, sometimes comedians have other comedians opening opening for them. But I said, you know what? I'm a music lover. I want Jonas to open up for me. So that was really good. Um, then after that, I came out around 8.30. I came out around 8.30 and I did a couple sets. I did a couple monologues that had some socially conscious content in there. Um, oh, like there's anything to talk about these days? Right. I exactly. mean, I talked about everything. All Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Donald Trump, you name it. Hillary Clinton. I talked about everything. Relationships. That sounds like what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Celebrities. I talked a little bit about Stevie Wonder and Prince. Um, and then at the end, I did a Prince tribute. So I attempted to sing and I played the Timbales. I, I played a little bit of Glamorous Life, which Sheila E. pretty much was, was famous for and still is famous for. So I just tried to encompass everything that I do. Comedy, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of music uh, with the, the socially conscious aspect I had with the monologues. And so it was just great. It really was. You know, it's funny. Um, I have about 5,000 followers on Facebook and I was reading through it. And about every third person was talking about how great that show was. So, you, oh, wow. yeah, That's you got awesome. some good reviews. And I was really, I mean, I was proud of that. I'm sorry I wasn't there because, to be honest okay. with you, I couldn't even get out of the house this weekend. I need a decompression weekend. I read an amazing book called Summit Up by Pat Summit. It's the last oh. book. And, and I don't know if it was because my dad just passed and had dementia or what, but it was, I guess it was kind of tough to read it as she, mm -hmm. this was written right as she was found out she had Alzheimer's and was starting to go downhill a little bit, but boy, what an incredible person, what an incredible human being. I mean, did so much for women's basketball and for the women's movement really in the seventies and the eighties, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and she didn't do it in a way that she was boisterous saying, this is what I'm going to do. She did it by working her can off. And I think that's one of the things I think it's fun to watch your success because you're doing it through hard work. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really important to take chances uh, right. because that was really challenging to do a one woman show and incorporate music and, and things that I don't typically do, like singing. I don't typically sing up front. I usually am on the drums. So that was something different. But I guess a few years ago, I committed to not being fearful anymore. Right. I just said, I'm going to be fearless. And it, you have to take everything that comes with fear. So failures and, and being vulnerable and uh, failing in front of a crowd if you're doing uh, comedy or with you when you put a cartoon out there you don't know how it's going to be received so right. uh you're right in that you know pat has taken all these chances and so that's what i'm i'm doing now but you have to keep working hard you know i'm not gonna just say oh okay well i got a lot of people to come out to the alamo to see me so i'm done no 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 i, I i'm really really committed to not being complacent and things like that so okay well compare this show to the last one you did i mean obviously the first one it was your first time really doing something that big this mm -hmm. time you've had a whole you know nearly almost two years under your belt of comedy shows and everything else. Did you feel more comfortable? Did you feel like that this was easier or did you feel no, still the actually, same butterflies? I, uh, yeah, I had the same butterflies. I actually felt uh, a little more pressure because I expected more people to be there. And yeah. there were at least a hundred more people there this year than last year. So to me, it was more pressure to perform. Right. <laughs> um, but I felt more comfortable in um, the way that I prepared and the jokes that I wrote. So I think my writing has gotten better because I was comparing the jokes last year 
compared to those this year. Uh, they're just more advanced. Uh, they're they're better written out. Uh, so I wanted my growth in my writing to be evident, and I hope it was. I think it was. And, and I tell you, the other thing, thing about success, and I think something you've done very well, is that you've put together a good team around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a great manager who really, the, the look of the set, everything was very polished. But on top of that, there was a really epic picture that you posted. It had your whole family yeah. lined up where everybody, I mean, your mom, of course, as we know, uh, supports you 110,000%. Yeah. But it was neat. You, the person I thought <laughs> was really the most amazing to see in that picture was your granny. Yeah. Because um, I hear a lot about her. Right. So I know I, she now exists. I had to have a conversation with my granny about the kind of language that I use in my comedy because my grandmother has never seen me in that element. She just thinks that I'm just a little sweet Rita and that I don't have another side. But I do have another side, which I call it just getting in character when I perform comedy. Right. But I had a real conversation with her. Granny, these are the words I use in my comedy. This is why I use them. And for a minute, she said she wasn't going to come because she was afraid that I that she would affect my performance. She she was afraid that I would look her and look at her in the crowd and then not say what I was going to say. But I told her, I said, Granny, I'm not changing my set for you. So you're going to have to just adjust and decide whether you want to come or not. And she ended up coming. And I mean, she was a part of the whole experience backstage. She was helping with hair. She was ironing. Then she was on the front row. I told a couple jokes about her. She was a good sport about it. I was going to ask you about that because a lot of your <laughs> jokes usually do involve her. And it's tough one because I've, I've done that before. I've used jokes that have had my wife in there, but mm-hmm. I've never like made her the butt of the joke but she's part of it and one time i did that and she was sitting on the front row and i suddenly felt laser beams burning through me and i was like maybe i shouldn't never do that again so right but you know i said hey if i keep telling jokes about her and i make big money off of it someday then she won't mind exactly uh but she was a really really good sport there was one part when i acknowledged her in the show and the whole theater clapped for her and i know she was probably really embarrassed, but I wanted to do that. I wanted to acknowledge her and say, hey, guys, this is the woman that I'm always talking about on Facebook. So that was a very special moment. And as you mentioned, my mom sang background for me. She styled styled me. She helped me pick out my clothes and shoes. Uh, so it was a collective family effort. My dad was using the smoke the smoke uh, machine on stage. My uncle was running around. And you mentioned you know, having a good team. If you're an artist um, or just someone who's an entrepreneur, it is really important to have a good team, especially people you can trust and depend on or you can call on at the last minute and to be honest my team is extremely small and I think that has mm-hmm. been a it's been a yeah. help the smaller the more effective and the, and the the less tension or you know discontent we've had so uh, I think my small team is working very well that's one of the things I tell artists and I think a lot of times people are very talented and they think that the whole world's going to love their art and they, they get out there and they think they can trust people and I'm not saying don't trust everybody but really honestly at the end of the day what we do as a business and by having a small team like you've got, you can trust every one of those people in that team. Yeah. If you can't trust your mama, well, you're in trouble. Right. Exactly. And it's kind of been a two-headed monster. Me and my manager kind of single-handedly planned this show. We had mm-hmm. other people uh, involved in, in, in moving parts and things, but uh, my manager, Miranda Joyner, is just uh, is just amazing. Like She's like the whole team, the coach, the, the water girl, the players. Uh, so it's really important to find somebody like that who you can trust, especially when it gets to dealing with money. Right. <laughs> that's, oh, a, exactly. that's a different story. Oh, that's huge. That's huge. And i got to say this, and to compliment you on this, I've watched you as you one day said, oh, I want to do a stand-up comedy. And you didn't try to go in over your head right away. Right. You, you jumped in. You you took baby steps, and you mm-hmm. learned the lay of the land before you before you went to the next bigger step and right. the bigger step. And I think sometimes people say, "Well, I'm going to do this," and they jump in there and don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. and they get discouraged. 
Yeah, um, and and baby steps is is a real thing in comedy because you can have a really really successful show and then one doesn't go so well and then you're wondering, okay, am I made for this? Right. That that self doubt starts to creep in. Uh, so you just have to, uh, for anybody who's doing any kind of artistry, you just have to make a decision to never give up. Don't let one little setback or something, uh, you know, stop you from pursuing your dreams and just keep studying. I write all the time. I'm not just gonna use these jokes from Saturday forever. I'm like I'm already writing new jokes, so right. just keep working on your craft. And I, uh, something I, I read this morning was talking about, you know, when you're first getting started with something, uh, you think that it, it's mediocre, you know, but the the key is to keep fighting to that point, you know, where you reach a real place of of happiness and satisfaction with what you're doing. Right. You know that that's a very good advice, and it's something I tell my boys, all three of my sons, which I have one here today. But I said, you know, criticism and putting yourself out there, if you don't stick your head up out of the foxhole occasionally, you're going to be a whole lot of trouble. Because if you just sit there and stay in the fetal position and try to play it safe, you're never going to achieve anything. You're never going to get to your dreams. And it's so important to take those risks. And it's hard. I mean, to be honest with you, when you feel like you're putting your personal self out there uh, and somebody says you stink. I mean, I get a lot of comments on my cartoons. I get on my Facebook posts, everything else I write. You know, people sit there and anonymous people sit there and tear you down. And you can't put a lot of a lot of thought into that or it'll just shut you down for good. So definitely. So. You you make a good point with social media. That's a completely different element. Um, you know, for the most part, everybody had good things to say, but I did see some criticism sure. of my show. And, you know, if I got a thousand comments that said the show was great, it'll be that one that that'll will, eat you alive. That'll vex you, yeah. you know. Uh, so we are living in a different time here where people can, they just have free reign to say whatever they want to say to and about you. And my mom told me this morning, hey, Rita, take a break from social media you know and sometimes you just have to uh to to just not even allow any space for negative things to come uh and into your space larry david who is the co-creator of seinfeld and of course plays uh bernie sanders on saturday night live he went into yankee stadium they showed his picture up on the on the scoreboard Sixty thousand people cheered for him and then as he's walking out to the train somebody yelled profanity at him saying that you blank and it ate him alive because mm-hmm. that one person, 60,000 people cheered for him with yeah. that one person. And it can. And it can get under your skin. Absolutely. So. Well, uh, we can take a quick break, uh, Marshall, and uh, you can give the question of the day again. Yeah, question day is fantastic. And really, I think with all the news that we've had over the last couple of weeks, and uh, my cartoon tomorrow, by the way, is uh, you know basically based on what's been going on. I, I can't remember the last time I saw a flag at full staff. It's mm. just we've had tragedy after tragedy after yeah. tragedy going on. And so the question is one, and I think this is one I really want you all to call in on because I think this is something that we can make a difference and your ideas can make a difference. So the question is this, what do we need more or less of to make the world a better place today? So put your thinking cap on. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We got Cody Cox up. I like Cody. This is going to be a good, good interview. So y'all stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Question of the day, got to throw that back out there. What do we need more or less of to make the world a better place today? Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And, of course, since this is live radio, we like to mix things up and make things a little more interesting. And, of course, Cody Cox will be on later in the show, but Seth Power is here with us right now. Seth, it's very good to see you and meet you. I've, I've, I've heard about you. I've heard a little bit of your of your work, and it's very good to finally get a chance to meet you. Yeah, it's um, it's really good to be here. Uh, again, I've listened to your show a few times as well, too, and um, I've never been able to put a face with a, a name before. So. That's intentional. Witness yeah. protection. Don't want anybody knowing <laughs> what I look radio, like. Right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I look better on radio, definitely. Uh, so, But, I mean, you're pretty young. I mean, how long have you been getting them? Is this something you started when you were little or – yeah, it's always been like a, I guess a passive skill that I've been um, developing. Uh, sports and athletics and all that stuff was always kind of my main uh, focus. And then whenever I was like 10 years old, um, my mom got me a guitar and I just started playing. And it was just something that I did very privately. Um, yeah. Just for mostly because, you know, in the beginning I was really terrible, just like anybody else who, who picks something up they never done. Uh, but I just kept developing it and it, it just kept coming more and more to the forefront and especially as I started getting better and uh, eventually I started making that transition from you know playing privately to playing publicly and then writing and and you know it just it just spiraled from there so now I'm I'm here and that's what I'm doing now let me ask you this because I've got a 13 year old plays a guitar and of course you, it's very frustrating at first trying to get your fingers in the right chords Absolutely. and get them get that muscle memory going and everything how did you keep going I mean you, you know because I, I know a lot of people that pick it up and they get frustrated and they put it back down but you stuck with it and obviously yeah um I don't know you know it's funny I was I was talking to somebody about that the other day it's it's one of those things that I don't I don't really consciously remember what motivated me to keep doing it? Because, like you said, it is it is hard. Um, I at first I was self taught, and my mom she taught me some songs, and then I started taking lessons, and and that's when things started getting a lot more difficult. Because you know you come home with like homework basically, yeah. and, and you're doing all these other things as a kid, and you don't really want to sit down and do something that's challenging. Um, so I, I really don't know. I guess it's just this inner motivation that I had that at the time was inexplicable. It just it's just something I really wanted to do. And so I just kept doing it. And um, I guess I just kept having, you know, that knowledge that, you know, I'm bad now, but if I keep doing this, right. you know, and I think it's, that came from, you know, doing a lot of other things like sports related and, you know, other hobbies that I just understood that yeah, I'm just not going to be you good. You to put this. in the work. Yeah. It's just something that I have to have to do. And, uh, and, you know, eventually without even realizing it, you just, you just keep bet- getting better until it becomes, like you said, it's like second nature. Yeah, they always talk about the 10,000 hours that you have to play, yeah. you know, talking about the Beatles played for 10,000 hours before they became famous. Yeah. And I think there's something to that. And I was like you growing up, I played sports and thought I was going to be a big football hero and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then one day I, and I love to draw. Mm-hmm. And then one day I realized, you know what? Drawing cartoons means that my knees will probably be a lot in better shape when mm-hmm. I'm 40. And your yeah. head. Yeah. And my head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know where I am. So it yeah. worked out pretty well. So I completely get that. What sports did you play? Uh, soccer, baseball, football. I ran track for a couple of years. I just kind of did everything. Yeah. It was um. I just and that's why I do. I never really focused on one thing uh, until I I walked on at Mississippi State as a freshman and did that for about a year. And that was an awesome experience. But again, it was at the end of that year when it was time to kind of re up and you know go back to camp and stuff. It was like, well, I just you know, I just didn't feel like it was for me anymore. It right. Was, and and I had started playing. Um, a lot more at that point and it just became a natural transition as soon as I stopped playing football I started playing a lot more shows I started you know getting way more comfortable with being out in those public venues and and showing people original music and and making that transition so 
Um, so you started basically playing in the clubs and everything around Starkville. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and you were doing cover stuff and then you started trotting out your own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you just that's kinda, always gets kind of courageous at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And you start, you start throwing it out there without even telling anybody what it is. Yeah. You know? Cause you don't want them running to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I've exactly. been there. I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I played harmonica in a band in college, so I completely understand mm-hmm. on that one. But oh yeah. It's nerve wracking at first. It is. But uh, of course, what, what, all, I know you play guitar. What, what other instruments do you play? I fool around on the piano. I wouldn't consider myself a piano player, you know, but I I sit down. I like to I like to write on the piano. Yeah. Um I work with a young girl out of Hattiesburg who's who's really talented too. Her name's Arabella and she plays the piano and so working with her has has caused me to kind of spend more time on it. And again, I'm not I'm not very um knowledgeable in regard to like music theory and stuff. I used to be able to read music and then I picked up the guitar and it's like I didn't really have to anymore. I just yeah. kinda of stuck to tabs and stuff. Uh, but it's kind of caused me to start kind of going back into that realm of like, okay, well, maybe it's time to start getting more yeah. of like an intellectual, you know, knowledge of what I'm doing rather than, you know, just going off the, the feels. So um, I'd like to play the piano and, and the guitar and that's that's pretty much it. I'll fool around the harmonica and stuff. But again, if if I was sitting around with a bunch of guys and they're like, hey, do you play the harmonica? I'd be like, no. Well, I kind of, I'm kind of that way too. Yeah. Actually, but I, I did it, but it was basically like, oh, here's a beer. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, that, yeah. that was usually my payment. We have a caller, Sharita. Oh yeah, I guess you can't see it. I can't. Oh, okay. Max is in Columbus uh, with a comment to our question of the day, which is, what do you think we need more or less of to make the world a better place today? Good morning, Max. Hey, Max. Good morning. Good morning. I love you. I love your show, by the way. Well, thank you. Uh, I had one comment to make during this time of strife and. Uh, division is that uh, we have to remember that blame is not accountability. Blame creates more division and more hatred. Accountability is a higher, higher, higher calling. It's a higher form of character. So I know it's a political season, and people throw around a lot of, you know, a lot of accusations and blame, but. Really, blame is not accountability, and that's what we, democracy is very fragile. We, 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 we are searching for accountability, but we're not going to find it with blame. So I just wanted to offer yeah, that's that's great, and I tell you, uh, sometimes it's easier to fit blame in 140 characters in a tweet than it is accountability. And I think sometimes that's why we we hear more blame than we do find real solutions. Absolutely. Max, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. And, um, you know, Marshall, we didn't get to talk about this uh, recent tragedy which happened in Baton Rouge. I think at least three officers were killed. Yeah, ambushed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So he's, you you know, I think we need to get to a point where we recognize each other as humans. Maybe we need to talk to each other instead of past each other because I think we're doing that at this point. And, um, you know, it just, I I don't know. I'm just tired of pulling up my phone in the morning and finding a new tragedy. And I can tell day. that President Obama is tired of giving these speeches. You know, yeah, he's but, getting a little bit more of an edge to his tone now. Yeah. With I, mean, I don't blame him. I mean, honestly, um, it's got to be frustrating. Right, so. right. Well, we have Seth Seth Power is in the studio, a musician who is up and coming, I guess, but you're actually already on your way. So yeah. that's, that's a, I know, up and coming. You're like, well, is that a compliment? No. So, <laughs> so and of course, Sharita is up and coming, too. So, right. Yeah. So we're the same. And, and so am I, come to think of it. I'm 48 and hopefully we'll make it someday. But, oh, you're there already, Marshall. Oh, okay. Well, good. I feel better. <laughs> I, I tell you, um, you're getting to play in the bar scenes. You're getting to do that. And and we have a great music community here in Mississippi. And we're very really lucky because you bump into people. And for the most part, 
there aren't a lot of jealous people. People are pretty supportive for the most yeah. for the most part, and uh, that's got to be helpful. Now, talk about the type type of music that you play. What genre is it? Okay, um, man, that's always a hard question. Uh, but at this point, I've polka. I've had to, I've you had play to really it. exciting <laughs> polka music. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no, it's I don't know. It's you know I think everybody brings their own brand um, mm-hmm. to music now, especially since the nature of music distribution now and how accessible it is. It's it's so much different because you you're taking in so much more. Yeah, you know you have access to so much more. Um, it's not just what you're hearing on the radio. It's not just what you know records you may or may not have. Uh, like a lot of people, you hear like um, if you ever listen to interviews from like uh, Hosier or Hosier, however you say his name, um, talks about how he grew up, you know, in like rural island. Right. All he had to listen to were like his old, his dad's old like gospel records and, and blues and stuff like that. It's just what he was exposed to, and right. then you, you hear that in his music. And so I feel like I take elements from all different genres. And so usually, you know, when people ask me that question, I give like a really vague response, like it's alternative. But I think lately I've kind of been finding my groove in like the rock and and R&B, like kind of fusion. Um, I think a lot of it is just the nature of my voice. It just tends to have kind of like an older R&B feel to it, just the tone and stuff. And and I really do. I'm a huge fan. I like Bill Withers and that whole generation, you know, it's just, it just really speaks to me. And then, you know, I love rock and roll as well. Uh, so I guess I try to fuse those those two things together um, in, in my own unique way. And so, right. I, like I said, I usually I'll give a vague answer like, oh, it's kind of like alternative rock, R&B. But really it just, it pulls up different, you know, different elements from different um, genres. And, you know, let's hear one of your songs. Things. How about that? How's that yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. that, that helps. And I won't make you sing it. Sharita will play it. How about yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> the name of this one is This Ain't No Love Song. Okay. Yeah. I was wrong, I promise you good love Breakfast and bed, you know the good stuff This fairy tale is no more, I see now that it's over Oh yeah, I just wasn't enough This ain't enough song Wow, that sounds really good. That Seth, is. Seth, my question to you is, if it ain't a love song, what is it? <laughs> I don't know. It's, um, I guess it's just not a love song. I, I really don't know any <laughs> other way to put it um, except in the title. But yeah, it's. I think that was one of those instances. I wrote that song when I was like 19 years old. I'm 23 now, and it, you know, I just released it a few months ago, so it's just been sitting around in the wheelhouse. Um, I think that was an instance where I sat down with the intention of wanting to you know, write a certain type of song and then just, you know, how I was feeling in that moment was just not congruent at all with what I was wanting to do. And so in the process of trying to write a love song, I guess you'd say I I wrote the exact opposite of one just because, you know, of current events and, and stuff like that. And um, that was a special song because I think that I've probably finished that whole thing in probably 15, 20 minutes, which there's some songs that I'll work on for months. There's some that take weeks. Um, that one took, you know, a matter of, you know, 15, 20 minutes, just because I think it really just came from a a, a really deep place inside of me. Um, but again, whenever you stumble upon something like that, you get really nervous about sharing it with people. You do. You just, yeah. yeah. You, as anybody who does any type of creative work. Right. I mean, sometimes a cartoon will come to me just like that. Other days I have to spend five hours. And, yeah. And, you know, it's, I interviewed Mac McAnally recently oh, for yeah. television. He said the same, almost the same exact answer mm-hmm. you just did. So that's got to make you feel pretty good. It does. He, he's, he's okay at writing. He's great. Yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's only okay. got a couple of Grammys. Yeah. He, he's done okay. <laughs> well, we'll come back. We're with Seth Power right now. The question of the day is this. What do we need more or less of to make the world a better place today? Give us a call. one 877 
an MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to Seth Power. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Hey, we have a great question of the day for you. What do we need more or less of to make the world a better place today? Of course, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we have Frank on the line. Hey, Frank, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, two things. Uh, I really I really appreciate the artist. I mean, that, that is a great sound that you have. Uh, stay with it. Stay with it. Thank you very much. Uh, eat some more sandpaper. Get that quality back in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to bring this closer to home. When you say the world, right. I mean, that really, that's, you, know, you might as well say on the moon. What can we do here in Jackson? And it comes down to love. But as the Greeks like to tell people, there's more than one kind of love. And I'm not talking about having a good feeling. It's the love of actual action. And like I tell the kids in Sunday school, you can measure love. How much time are you spending with somebody with love? How much of your talent, your kindness, your, uh, your perseverance, your patience, how much of that talent are you spending with people you love? And you can measure that. And how much of your treasure, which is basically your money or things that you treasure? I'm 66 years old. And we're talking about the same stuff we talked about in the 60s, yep. the exact same stuff. Now, I cannot say that an individual is racist, but I can certainly say that the majority of the institutions in this country are inherently racist by design. Last comment. This country has a bad habit of when something, something happens, let's talk about it, let's study it which is just a cop-out. We know what works. Operation Shoestring works. Boys and Girls Club works. YMCA's work. Head Start works. What has to happen, in my opinion, is a revolution 
where the people as individuals say, we're tired of spending money on prison. We're tired of walking around being afraid. I don't have to love you, but our behaviors have to get better. Where can we spend our time, talent, and treasure to support these, these institutions that we know work? That's a great call, Frank. Thank you so much. And I think you made some really great points there. And I think it does get overwhelming when you sit there and turn on the news day in and day out. And I I kind of joked half-heartingly, but I think there's a lot of truth to this, that 2016 is going to rival 1968 for being a tough year. But I think what happens is when you get to the point where you feel like you're overwhelmed, that what you need to do is start taking care of your business that surrounds you. You know, make a friend, make make a difference in the world that you can touch. And then guess what? If we all did that, it would make a huge difference. So that's great. we got Seth Powers on with us. And I tell you what, Seth, um, you know, it's tough because, like I said, you're 23 years old, and you wrote that last song that we heard last segment when you were 19. Mm-hmm. And you're writing about stuff that I'm still trying to figure out at 48. Yeah. How, do, how do you get that kind of clairvoyance? How do you be able to, to, to have that kind of emotion in your songs? Uh, I don't know. It's it's an acquired thing. It's like it's like you said, kind of whenever you were talking about learning an instrument versus uh, it becoming second nature. Uh, it, I think that applies to sports. I think that applies to a lot of different disciplines that you know people take up. It's once you are able to learn it to such a degree that you're not thinking about it. Right. You're you're almost just channeling you know that inner emotion and stuff into what you're doing. It, that's kind of when you 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 pass a you know a milestone. I think that's what that was for me. It was it was me not trying really to write a song. It was me sitting down and and playing and singing about just what was on my heart at the time. And, right. And it just at the end of it, I was like, well, you know, I have something here, and this may be something that somebody else can can use and take and you know apply to their own experiences and stuff. So that was, I mean, like I said, that was a milestone moment for me because up to that point I'd written a lot of songs, but I was very honest with myself and I just knew that, okay, well, these aren't very good, you know, but I'm getting better. And so that was a moment, like I said, where I was like, I I think that now I can begin making that transition from, you know, turn this from a private thing into, into a more public thing and, and sharing this with other people, because I think others could benefit from it, whether it's two people or 2000 or 2 million, you know, that's yet to be seen because you you never know how your stuff's going to be received um, sometimes it's shockingly more, sometimes it's shockingly less. So I, I try not to worry about that because that's just out of my control at this point. All I can do is put everything I have into, into what I'm doing and, and hope that it's, it's well received. So. I know I always envision that there's like up in Nashville, for instance, that there's like a bunch of songwriters that sit in a room and they say, okay, these are the three words you need to get in there. Tractor, yeah. sexy, <laughs> and your mama. Okay. Figure that out. <laughs> do it in a way that's not creepy. But I mean, when you, I think when you, and I do this when I write short stories, I think when it's stuff that's, that's close to my heart that resonates with other people. And those are usually the most successful things. So that has to go for songwriting too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just about sincerity. I think people pick up on that. I think whenever you are really putting everything that you have into something and it's a universal theme um, that can be translated amongst, you know, any, any number of different types of people, then that's, that's kind of when you're on to something. But right. as soon as you start catering to what's popular, I think <laughs> right. you start to lose, you know, parts of yourself in that process. And, and then it becomes frustrating because typically if you are you know trying to imitate what's out there, you just, you're never going to be out in front of the curve. You know, you're never going to be the, the person that helps turn the corner. You're just, right. you're just imitating, you know, top 40 music, which, you know, again, it's like if you do that and it doesn't work, then it's just that much more discouraging. And then 
at that point, you're not even doing it for yourself anymore. Right. You're not even doing it for the whole reason that you started doing it. Cause I don't think many people pick up an instrument and think, Oh, I'm going to do this for 13 years and then I'm going to be famous for doing it. You know, right. it's like, it's just a day one day after the other type thing. Right. If I start drawing for other people, for instance, I know I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, everybody's got a taste of your music work and they go find more. Uh, I'm out on iTunes, Spotify, uh, just about any digital distribution, um, Amazon, Google play, uh, I have a little bit on SoundCloud. I'm, I'm about to start putting more on SoundCloud because it's that's a popular um, outlet among like music blogs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Which I haven't even started making those pushes. I've really just been trying to put out, trying to build my you know material up to a certain point. Um, in late August, probably the last week of August, I'm releasing a six or seven song EP. Um, so it'll be a much bigger body of work. It'll be what I feel to be some of my better songs yeah. to date. More, like I said, more uh, me. Like these these singles i've been releasing are my songs but again i think some of them were written more at a point whenever i was just trying to write right. good songs versus songs that i really felt you know were coming from you know a deeper place so, so we're looking forward to that in august right yes and you have a website i do sethpowermusic.com okay and mm -hmm. of course you're all over social media i am because if Seth you're not Power you're Music. doing something wrong exactly that's, that's <laughs> yeah. how that works definitely and uh, seth i really appreciate you you're coming in yeah i really appreciate y'all having me oh, always great anytime we'll have to have you back Please make you make it. you bring the guitar, make you do this live. A little live we'll show. make you I work. Yeah. All right. Well, Cody Cox is in the studio too. You know, it, it's kind of nice. I think this is a natural transition. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we were just talking just with Seth a little bit about how the music business has changed a little bit, and you've uh, decided not to sit around and wait for it like the old way. You just took the bull by the horns and started your own record label. Right. I mean. The biggest thing was that was I, I hit up a few people like regionally when I was uh, initially writing songs and putting music out. Yeah. And um, I got the kind of the thumbs down or the cold shoulder a little bit. Right. And I was like, well, it can't be that hard. There's got to be a way to do this. Um, and so because I don't have a whole lot of patience with some of that stuff, I kind of just said, I can do this. And so for a while, it wasn't even like it was just handmade cases. Everything was pretty much like. I mean, you know, saying this on the air, but like completely under the table, like just right. we'll put music out and that'll be that. And then there's no middleman at that point. All right. the all the records sold straight back to me. Um, And it was just to put my stuff out at that point. Right. Um, Then after a while, I started playing shows with a lot of people. And um, there was like, <clears throat> I felt like um, there was a lot of people who didn't know how to do that. They wanted to, mm -hmm. um, both, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and Jackson, but also like, uh, regionally. And they're like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. Like, how do you do that? I'm like, it's really not that hard. You know, there's this thing called the internet and we yeah. can make, we can use it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but you know, I'm in the same, same deal. I mean, when I first started in the business of cartooning, cause that's what I do for right. my day job, uh, it used to be you'd sit there and you'd send your stuff off to a syndicate and then you'd have one person who would look at it and you'd probably get a rejection letter and you'd do it again and do it again. Now they have this thing called the internet right. and the thing called social media. And really at the end of the day, if you get good work, you right. can get it out there and people will find it and you can build a niche and you can make a living. Well, totally. And because yeah. of like, like Seth was talking about like digital distribution, you, it used to be you had to like go through two or three different distro sites and they did everybody. Yeah. Kind of both internationally as well as like in the States. And that's all you had. And so every record store would order from those people, it is completely different. Um, because you can 
put things out on SoundCloud or on your you know on your own Bandcamp page or or whatever, or you can pay a little bit of distro to you know a CD Baby or something like that, and they'll flood every streaming site. Um, are you going to get rich? Are you going to get you know tons of money and royalties? No, I've gotten checks for like eleven dollars and things like that. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not for that, and so that need to do something on my own um, for my own stuff, just tired of waiting on others, kind of branched into doing that for other people. Like, here's what I can do for you. It's, um, it's not much. Um, always very open. Like, no one's going to make any money. Like, literally if what $200 we might make is going straight back into the next project. Right. Like, you know, I can help you get shows. I can help you make contacts. But otherwise, like, I will put this out. I'll front the money. Once it comes back to me, there's no money made. It's just back into another project. So I typically work with younger bands, younger songwriters, because after a while they figured it out on their own and they've gotten, you know, popularity. And so right. they're playing shows. There's a lot of people coming to their shows. They can take that money and turn it into doing the same thing. You know, I'll even screen printing t-shirts. I'll show people like, this is how you can do it. Is it as good as going to like a bigger place that makes a t-shirt? No. But is it something that you can sell? And if you're a band that people follow and want to support, you can have that, and it's a lot cheaper, and you can actually make some money for yourself and then grow that over time. Exactly, and I think you touched on something that's really important. I mean, I interviewed Glenn Boward, one of the greatest record producers and songwriters probably in history, and right behind Quincy Jones, who was this thing, and he, even he'll admit that the whole system's changed. So if you're an artist and you're sitting there saying, oh, I'm waiting for somebody to discover me, well, you're going to wait a long time. Mm -hmm. But if you're an artist who's got talent and can build a brand and, like you said, build a crowd, and then you have merchandise to sell, I mean, you start you start playing chess. You start saying, okay, this move will lead to this move and lead to this move. And it sounds like you've got that figured out. Your label is, is Elegant Trainwreck. I right. like that. What a nice name. <laughs> that uh, sounds like my life. <laughs> I don't know about the elegant part, but I definitely agree with the train wreck. I, uh, somebody actually, like, when I was in college, like, probably at a – I don't even remember the whole story, but somebody actually, like, re like called me that one time, like, in a conversation. <laughs> yeah. And this at this point – Was it a girlfriend or – I know it was. Okay. Probably, I think it was somebody who went on to be in one of the many bands I've had over the years. Okay. Like, I think it was a so the new on a professional band. basis then. Right, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't wasn't quite. It was personal, but it was exactly you know, personal and like a jab kind of personal, probably. Yeah. Exactly. In in a good way on that. So, but that's great. I mean, and okay, we got Mary. We got a call. We're going to jump to real quick. Hey, Mary, how are you? What, what's on your mind? Good morning. I was just thinking about things that we need less of and. One that came to mind was uh, even in my own mind I do, and that's call people names. Like I hear parents call their kids dummies and and stupid and silly and and all that sort of thing. And I, I figured out I better start cleaning up my own mind first. Uh, well, well, Mary, what are you going to call me? That's the question. Ah, uh, you're you're my. Special uh, ear on Monday morning. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I tell you what, Mary, why, why don't you just call every week and call me that? That'd be great. That'd be great. Thank you so much for the call. That's a great point as well. We're going to come back with Cody Cox, who's here. And I tell you what, an incredible how, if you think I can't make it in, into this business, guess what? He'll show you how you do it. You just called hard work and a little bit of uh, 
intuitiveness, to say the least. Question of the day, what do we need more or less of to make the world a better place today? I say music. That would help. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Listen to Cody Cox, who's in the studio with us. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. Ah, yes, we have headphone issues today, so it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, the lake. it has been interesting today. But you know, you got to love live radio. It's never dull. We've had a good question of the day. What do we need more or less of to make the world a better place today? You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Cody, I would say go buy your new album, Leave a Trace. That would be a way to make the world a better place, don't you think? I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, was that shameless enough as a plug? Did I do a good job? <laughs> yeah, I like it. I okay, like, good deal. Like it. I'll try to make my guests happy. You I know. appreciate it. Don't that. want you storming out. So. Marshall, coming in, that was uh, Seth Power. Was that Seth? Uh, yeah, Young and Dumb. That was okay. one of his songs. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for that, uh, Cody. I, still, I, still I apologize. Appreciate, I still no, really. I was like, Cody, <laughs> my next question was, how did you end up sounding so much like Seth? <laughs> Seth, like we were going... That was me, okay? <laughs> I, just Cody, take, I just take credit wherever I can. Yeah, Cody, you have some really interesting um, things, uh, especially theories behind Leave a Trace. I know you said that it took you a while to finally get in the studio and get your album going. And I was reading an interesting bit about you uh, talking about using first person as opposed to second person in your lyrics. Um, talk a little bit about the theory behind that, because lyrics are really important. You know, some folks don't think they are, and they just say anything, and as long as the hook is good, they think it's fine, but <laughs> I appreciate a well-constructed song. It's really funny too that that you that you actually said hook because I'm gonna <laughs> make myself sound old and unhip. But like I just learned like a few years ago exactly what a hook was. Okay, yeah. the chorus um, or right the chorus. Yeah. I'd always yes. called it a chorus, uh-huh. uh, and I started working with um, Stephen Brown, Fifth Child, and mm-hmm. like doing some stuff with him, and he. He was. He kept referring to hook, and I was like, "Look, I'm sorry, man. I don't." I was like, "You're gonna have to, what part is is that the is that because everything's kind of repeated in loop. So what's the hook?" And he was like, "Oh, it's the part that like where the person sings here." I was like, "Oh, so the chorus. Good. Yeah, I got it. Now I know what that is. So. They can't be synonymous. And I guess the idea is to hook you with the chorus. No, it makes complete sense. I just yeah. I felt I felt kind of kind of dumb, you know, and like really unhip. Uh huh. But uh, you know, now you know." 
now I feel a little less unhip. Going <laughs> that is. Um, but with the the writing aspect, yeah, there was definitely um, it's it's real easy to write about things you experience and things you see, um, how you feel. Um, and I went with uh, have an English major, and I taught high school for a long time, and so the idea of first, second, or third person or whatever is is something that kind of like sticks. I was like, well, um, I can remember vividly in college reading a short story by a guy named uh, Paul Ruffin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote the whole story in second person about someone breaking in his house and, well, a house and someone going and like, um, like catching the robber and then, you know, not to give everything away, but what happens when, when he does find the person that the intruder or whatever, but it's all written in second person. So it's all, you did this, you wake up, yeah. you go through the house. And after 12 to 14 pages, it, you start to lose sense of like yourself and really get in because he's writing about you because he's right. like having a conversation. And I was like, wow. And I listened to him talk about that story and he talked about how it's the easiest way to get somebody to really pull in, but it's hard to write that way because most people don't have, you know, for lack of a better term, I guess, like that amount of like, empathy or something where you can really put yourself and I don't claim to have that level at all. I just, so I started kind of as an, an idea, like what if I just took myself out of this completely and started using second person more or started using and writing about from different perspectives and trying to really look at those perspectives. And if it sounds like crap, then I'll go back and rethink or maybe read some more or talk right. to some more people that deal with this on a daily basis or whatever I need to do more research, quote unquote. But like, um, it was important to me. And then I think it really started to shape a lot of the way that I see just things I deal with on a daily basis, uh, not to put too much weight on it or anything, but like it, it really starts to kind of change things that you're like, Oh, well, I'm going to write about this. Okay. Well, that's not me who mm-hmm. I am as a person. So I got to do some like, really like searching around to figure this out and do it the right way. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. You said that I had once had a radio consultant tell me that the most powerful word somebody wants to hear is their name. The second most powerful word that gets their attention is the word you. And and when you write, and I do this when I'm writing, say a Facebook post, if I write something about me, like a narcissistic first person doesn't get any hits. But if I write something that relates to people in there and like you said, the second person takes off. So yeah, I can see how that'd be really powerful. And the English major thing seems to work out well for people too. I know Jason Isbell has done pretty well with his lyrics, for instance. So, well, I mean, unfortunately, the worst thing in the world is the little red clock on the wall has said <laughs> we're out of time. Cody, I, I tell you what, I really appreciate you coming in today. Thank you. Where can folks find your your music? Same places. If you got a website, all that good stuff. Uh, definitely. Uh, with the record label, it's uh, elegant dash trainwreck dot com, and we've got all the artists we work with. I think we're up to ten or eleven at this point, from everything from rock, hip hop, and jazz. Um, and then there's also my personal stuff. I have uh, Cody Wincox dot dot com, and you can search Elegant Trainwreck at SoundCloud, and I put demos and stuff up there all the time, random toss away tracks and things that aren't ever released. Awesome. So, Awesome. Uh, both of you, Seth, Cody, I'm going to have you both back on because this was Thanks. great today. Really, if y'all were willing to come back on, you may say. A big jam session. Yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, we can do that. <laughs> exactly. That'd be great. All right, Sharita, once again, congratulations for the last weekend. Um, 
home run Thank out of the you. park. You're going to be famous. I'll be working for you someday. Yes, you will. But right now, she produced today's show and did a great job. I want to thank my son, who's sitting in the control room for not driving Sharita crazy. So he did a good job, too. Coming up next is Southern Remedy. This is Now You're Talking. We will see you next Monday. Have an awesome week.